Please turn your Bibles to this morning's scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. If you would like to follow along using a pew Bible, you can find the passage on page 968. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Second Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is, is truth. In a world that says there are no such things as absolutes, your word is absolute truth. And so give us hearts that acknowledge that, that trust you that believe what you say to us, and then will you cause your Holy Spirit to apply it to our lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Next week, uh, we are beginning a series on the Proverbs, and uh, I tell you for, for a couple of reasons, we just are finishing up uh, this brief series we're calling Kingdom Nomics. Um, but also, uh, if you happen to be visiting with us, uh, I want to I want to make it clear that that what we are doing today is a little bit different than what we typically do. Our our view is that that we take God's word we. We either go straight through a book or in the case of Proverbs, 
we're going to talk about what is, what is this wisdom that he's talking about, and then we're going to hit a, a number of themes uh, in that book, subjects, if you will, that uh, apply to our lives, and it, it's an amazing book, so I'm looking forward to that. But we're, we're finishing up this brief series on, uh, we've called it Kingdomnomics, King, the, uh, the kingdom view of economics. And uh, today I'm dealing with uh, questions and answers, questions that have, for the most part, been submitted to me. And I solicited them uh, in the first sermon two weeks ago and, and last week. So what I want you to do, if at all possible, is to think of this as all, the, these three sermons as one big sermon uh, in this sense. The first week we talked about the foundational principles, all from Scripture, of what the Bible has to say about economics, about finances, about money, and we dealt with, with that, and then Last week, we looked at what we called the logistics of kingdomnomics, and that's when we dealt with what he says about giving and tithing specifically. And so this week, we're going to uh, talk about some biblical questions and then some questions that are kind of family questions that, that we would ask here uh, in our family house. So once again, if you're visiting with us, I'm glad you're here. You are welcome to be here. Uh, I, I'm, I just wanted to, you to understand what kind of a message this is. But we're happy that you're here because if anything, it will continue to show us how we deal with this uh, essential subject and how seriously we take it in terms of being uh, the best possible stewards of uh, the money that God uh, gives us here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Ch Church to carry on our ministries. So I want to begin with uh, what I would call a, a biblical question, and uh, it is, is there a gift of giving? In other words, is that one of the gifts that uh, God has given to some of his people. Um, the person that, that asked me that question couched it this way. I love giving. I, I really, really love to give. Is, is that a gift from God to be able to do that? So I want to share with you, we just uh, read from 2 Corinthians, but before we go back there... I want you to see in Romans chapter 12, which is one of the places where it talks about uh, gifts from God, here's what it says, Romans 12 verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So that's what we know, that you are given a gift Whatever gift you're given, you need to use it. If it's prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, 
in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes or gives in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So it's actually listed there as one of the gifts. Now, we recognize from each of these that are listed that not everybody has all of those gifts. But evidently, that is one of the gifts that he gives to his people. Now, back to what was uh, read a moment ago. Uh, it speaks to our attitude. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 says this, the, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly. Here, here it's speaking to the attitude of, uh, of our giving. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We've all heard that. That word there, is actually could be translated hilarious. Not that you give a laughable gift, that's not the point, but that it is given with genuine joy. And then in that same passage, it talks about the one who gives the gift, how we ought to give it, and then what he's going to supply in verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So let me, let me summarize these in terms of uh, the gift of giving. I am convinced that it is one of the gifts. And you may say, whew, I'm glad I don't have that gift. Well, here's the thing. We've already established this in the first two points of my sermon. Remember the last two weeks? That everyone has the role of giving. But not everybody has the gift of giving. Let me explain uh, in, in an, another area where we talk about that very thing. When it comes to being a witness for Christ. Every believer has the role of being a witness for Christ. We're called to do that. If you are a believer, that is what you are called to do out of obedience. But not every believer has the gift of evangelism. Those who study these things say that maybe one out of ten will have the gift of evangelism. And you may know somebody like that, that, that every time you turn around, they're leading somebody to Christ. You say, how come I'm not leading somebody to Christ? Well, sometimes it's because you're not telling anybody about Christ. But it also may be that, that your gift is of being a sower. And... Uh, I, I love to share Christ, but I don't have that same gift that, that some that I've been around of, of constantly leading people to Christ, that gift of evangelism. Well, it works the same way in all of the gifts, but particularly with this one, 
So once again, we all have that role of being generous, of, of giving with the right attitude, and so on, but there's going to be some who have that particular gift. Now, how do you know if you have it? Well, one way you can know if you have it is if God has given you the ability to make money, and some of you, he's given you that ability, then you have the gift of giving. Doesn't mean you're using it, but that was the very first part of that call there. If you have this gift, you use it. And so the answer, is there a gift of giving? Absolutely there is. And I have to tell you, the one who asked that question and others that I have known through the years that, that so enjoy giving, it's because they have that gift. And when we're using the gift that God gives to us, that's when we will be the most fulfilled and, and have the most joy in what we're called to do. Uh, another question came in terms of faith mission, mission giving. Um, why do we consider faith mission giving apart from the tithe? In other words, when it comes around to the time where we encourage faith mission giving, we encourage it to be over and above the tithe. Now, why is that? Let me give you a little history of how we got to that point. Uh, years ago, uh, missions were a part of the church budget. In fact, that was the case uh, a number of years ago when I arrived here. And then the leadership and the church, we changed it to a, a separate donation apart from the normal tithe, and we had its own fund. We established its own fund. Why was that? Well, it was because the commitment to missions was uh, growing in this church. We had many in the church that were saying, I, I want to give, but I want, uh, I've given my tithe. I want to give toward mission. So when it was all a part of the budget, if you gave a dollar to the church, a certain amount of that went to missions. Nothing unbiblical about that, by the way. Churches do it all kinds of different ways. But when we began to see that there was a heart, a growing heart for missions and people wanting to give over and above, we established the faith mission giving because we wanted to free people up to do that. You saw last week at the second point, of my sermon, at least during that worship service, as it was shared how our mission giving has increased since we went to faith mission giving. See, when the, when, uh, the church had missions as a part of the budget, if the budget stayed the same, mission stayed the same. If the budget got smaller as it did in some years, that meant our mission giving got smaller. That has not been the case since we went to faith mission giving. 
what we have seen is that immediately it increased our giving to global missions. We have seen a commitment to missions in general grow because we're closer to it when you're giving specifically toward that. When it was in uh, uh, the operating uh, fund, just uh, our, our normal budget, no one was choosing to give just to missions because it wasn't even an option. And then the other thing, and I love this, is we are seeing and hearing every single year testimonies of God's provision of how he is supplying over and above tithes, how he is supplying our faith mission giving. And that has caused spiritual growth among many of our people. If you want to know more about faith mission giving, you can uh, uh, listen to uh, the, the sermon. In fact, I've, it's in the outline, uh, the date and so on. You just simply go to our website and you can listen to that if you want to know what's the biblical basis for, for faith mission giving. Some procedural questions about uh, handling money here at, at St. Andrews. Uh, I'm going to answer a question that wasn't submitted, but it's been asked to me enough times in our membership class that I now answer it every time we have a membership class, and that is, uh, what, what are, you have pastors in the church, what's their involvement, and I, you know, I'm the one standing in front of them, so I guess they're saying to me, what's your involvement in terms of handling money? And so I'm, I explain that to every class. Uh, and, and, and here's how I explain it. Uh, I don't know what anyone in the church gives except my wife Connie and I. There are some churches where on Monday morning the pastor gets a, a list of the top ten givers and what they gave the day before. Now, I'm not saying that's unbiblical, and some pastors are way more mature than me and could probably handle that, but we don't do that here, and, and that's deliberate. Uh, here are the reasons for that. We have others that, that handle our money, and of course, we have a full-time uh, financial administrator that is from outside the church, and uh, so that helps with the privacy as well. But here's the thing. If, if I knew what people gave, I would never want it to affect how I treat them. In other words, if somebody gave a lot of money, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even want it going through my mind, oh, well, I, I, I need to go see them in the hospital because they're big givers. Now, I don't think I would do that, but I don't, I don't even have to deal with that since I don't know. And then secondly, I would never want to be accused of that, even if I wasn't acting in that way, or if somebody doesn't give, that I might not give them as much pastoral care or attention. And so the fact that I don't know what anyone gives, none of the pastors know, Nobody uh, except our financial person on staff knows what people give. Uh, we, in, in our church, we think that's the better route to go for us. 
What checks and balances does St. Andrews have to help ensure donations are, are spent properly? Well, we have uh, the budget that is uh, adopted, and that is uh, it's, uh, adopted by the elders. It's put together by the deacons, and that is the current year's budget. We have uh, prayed and asked God, what is it you want us to do? And then we have matched the budget with what we believe he wants us to do. So we have the budget. And then when it comes down to it, there are purchase orders that are approved by a deacon prior to purchase. And then our financial administrator, uh, financial team on the diaconate, and the admin uh, team review purchases and cash flow. And they keep uh, an eye on that. So there are several levels of accountability there. Someone asked, are the books of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church open to the congregation? And the answer is absolutely. You're a member here. Um, we, you, the books are open to you. And once again, when, with our membership class, I'm, I'm able, and I'm so thankful for this, I'm able to stand in front of membership classes and say, we know where every penny that is given at St. Andrews. We know where every penny goes. And not every pastor can say that. Uh, I'm thankful for that kind of stewardship. Uh, a question, why don't you accept designated giving? Uh, the answer is, well, we, we do and we don't. Uh, last week it was shared with you uh, that we have our, our three buckets or three funds, if you will. Uh, we have our general fund, our, our faith mission giving, and our mortgage reduction fund. Some call it a building fund. That's what it's been in the past. Now, to understand as Presbyterians uh, uh, our form of government, that's important. Uh, we believe that is biblical. But what that means is we have a representative form of government. And so you elect elders, you elect deacons. In our denomination, uh, the elders approve the budget. The deacons are responsible and review it. And uh, where money is spent is their responsibility. So uh, their effort in putting together the budget and so on is to direct funds where they believe God is leading the church as a whole. Now, let's think about designated giving. If everyone, uh, when you gave, said, here is, uh, said outside of these three buckets, here's how I'd like you to divide up my check. Can you imagine the chaos of that? And imagine the inefficiency of that. That would be bad stewardship. Now, occasionally, there are other projects that uh, we are interested in doing at some point, but we don't have the funds for, and, and we don't necessarily put it in the budget because it would kind of skew it, and we don't anticipate that we would... Uh, do it unless the funds come in, those projects are 
approved by the session and the deacons as needs, but it would, it would uh, skew the budget some. So, um, someone occasionally will come and say, you know what, I've given what I'm given, I, I've, I've tithed, I've given my mission money, but here is some money, sometimes it's an inheritance, sometimes it's money they weren't expecting or, or whatever, and they say, I'd like to give towards something else. Is there something else out there that uh, is a need in the church? And that's why we already have some things that have been approved, and that's where we will enable those funds to go. Here's what we cannot do. Uh, we cannot accept designated giving to projects that are not already approved by our leadership. In other words, if someone came and said, and I, I, I don't, nobody's done this, so I tried to pick something nobody's done, okay? If somebody came and said, you know what, I would like to uh, give money over and above my tithes to buy a church bus, we would appreciate it, but we would respectfully have to pass on it because the leadership has said in our day and age that a church bus would not be a, an efficient thing, a good thing, a liability-wise, and all these other reasons for us to have. So that's the kind of designated giving we cannot do. It needs to be something that has been previously approved by the leadership that you elected for that kind of thing. Okay, this, uh, this is kind of a modern-day question, but it's a, it's a good one. How does online or e-giving fit in with it being an act of worship? You get it? Some of you are, you know, you may be hesitating be, uh, uh, because we have established in our foundational principles that giving is worship, and you say, yeah, it's during worship service, and the offering basket comes around, and I you know, put my check or whatever in there, and it's an act of worship. So some of you may be saying, I'm not sure, I wouldn't feel like it was worship if I did it online. Well, it's true that we did this in order to accommodate our, our modern day lives because, uh, um, you know, when I started in ministry, cash and checks were what everybody did. But it's way different than that right now. So here is how we encourage you if you choose to give online, which we studied it. We discussed it, whether we wanted to get into that. Uh, every week, Mark will stand up and encourage you to fill out the back flap of your worship guide. And you put your name on that, and often he will say, when you put that in, remember, it represents a, a, a living sacrifice, an offering of yourself to the Lord, and that's your opportunity to do it here in our worship service. So what's the good thing then about online giving? Well, for one thing, you can set it up uh, 
to where you get it regularly deducted. So if you're traveling or you miss a Sunday, you still are able to keep up with your commitment to the Lord. Or you can go to uh, the site online every time you give. This is actually how I do it. And go through the process of saying how much and so on. And mine's virtually the same. Uh, but I, going through that act, then I consider that to be an act of worship. By the way, I never got to put checks in the basket. The basket doesn't even come up here. So, uh, so I, I always had to do it at a distance. So that's how we look at, at uh, the online giving. Okay, so how about the mortgage reduction? Uh, someone asked us to explain how donations to the debt reduction fund or mortgage reduction fund works. Here's the, the easiest way I know how, and I'm very simple-minded when it comes to um, finances, but think in terms of a house payment. Uh, most of you either have one or you have had a house payment. Every month, we make a house payment of $12,500 Aren't you glad that's not your home house payment, uh, most of you at least? Uh, of that, $4,500 is interest that we have to pay. That comes from our tithes and offerings that are collected every Sunday. So if you give on a Sunday, a portion of that goes to the interest on our house payment. But... If you designate money to the mortgage reduction, 100% of that will go to the principal and none of it goes to interest. So that's a very efficient way for us to pay off our mortgage early. Uh, dream with me for a moment what, what it'd be like if we didn't have a house payment. Some of you who have paid off your houses, you know what that freedom is like all of the sudden when you no longer have a house payment. What could it mean for St. Andrews in terms of, of funds for ministry, funds for missions, funds for missionaries? We can only dream at this point, but that's why we believe this is something we want to aim for as soon as possible. You'll hear more about this uh, in the weeks, weeks to come. Uh, I believe it was the right thing for us to do when we took out the mortgage in order to uh, build, remodel, purchase next door. I think it was absolutely the right thing to do. We did it at an amount that we, uh, before the Lord, felt that we could handle but I also believe that paying off that same mortgage is where God is leading us as a church in the next several years. And, and our leadership is committed to that. So you'll hear more about that in the future. In terms of general fund giving, uh, last week we were uh, told we are behind on our giving for the year's budget. What can we do about that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, We 
we, uh, it's not unusual at all for us to be behind this time of year. But to try to explain it, let me, let me give you a, just an example about how we ended this last year, uh, fiscal year on June 30th. We ended up for the year $25,000 behind. Now, how could that have been different? This will blow your mind. Did mine anyway, I should say. If everyone who gave here at St. Andrews last year had given $6 more per month, we would have ended the year without a deficit. $6 per month would have made all the difference last year. Now, I'm not telling you that so that everybody will say, oh, good, and we'll get a bunch of $6 checks starting next week. <laughs> That's not the point. But the point is this. Sometimes people say, well, my, my giving doesn't make any difference here, or some, some think a little bit of an increase isn't going to make any difference here. I was amazed when I heard that, that even, even small increases. Now, I will say this, too that we're going into the end of the year, and year-end giving is always important. It, it is in every church. We are no different than other churches, but de December is uh, our largest giving month, and a lot of that is just because of the way some people earn their money and, and so on. Um, so that's always important. But uh, it's faithfulness over the whole year that uh, will make the real difference. Here's, a, here's a, I think, an excellent question. Should we tithe in our will? First of all, you need to make sure you have a will. But let me answer personally. Uh, Connie and I are tithing in our will. And I think a lot of people never even think of that. Uh, I believe it is, is certainly appropriate if there is money at the end of your life to leave it to your children or wherever you want to leave it. But, but if you've been a tither all your life, what a great final witness that is to your family and to your church that has nourished you throughout your life. And then the question why does God need our money at all? Another way to ask that is, who's benefited by our giving? Well, let me tell you this. It's not God. It's true that it is worship and God desires that, but he doesn't need our money to finance the kingdom. But that's how he chose to do it. He doesn't need us to bring people to Christ, but that's how he chose to do it, to use us as instruments in that. So who benefits? Well, God takes pleasure in it, but we benefit. When we give biblically with a joyful heart, we are acknowledging that everything we have has come from him. That's that's the founda first foundational principle. We are worshiping, and that's always a good thing for our soul. 
and we're leading our heart more to God. Remember the other found, another foundational principle, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. We're also showing that we trust him to provide for us, and all of these are good things, and we're the beneficiaries. Remember what he said, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you, see who's benefiting? For you, a blessing until there's no more need. I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soul and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. But there's one, one other thing, and that is that the world benefits. He gives an, an evangelistic motivation for giving to him. He says this in that same passage in Malachi 3, then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, Malachi is saying that when you give what God commands in his word to give, the promise made way back to, to Abraham, the covenant promise that the world will be blessed becomes more and more fulfilled. He gave that promise in Genesis 12 that God would bless Abraham, but also that the nations would call him blessed. And Malachi is saying, when you're faithful to give what God has commanded, God brings about fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. Does God need our giving? Not one bit. Does he call for it? Is he glorified by it? Is he pleased by it? Does he use it to advance his kingdom? Absolutely. To God be the glory.